I think without question, we live in some of the most challenging times that perhaps any of us have ever seen in this world in our lifetime. It doesn't take much for us to turn on the news or, or get on the internet or take a look at our phones or whatever we're doing and, and see reports of people saying that the, the church is in decline and take a look at what Dan's just shared about resources being uh, you know, more strained than perhaps ever before. And in addition to that, to see just the condition of the world around us, perhaps more challenging than anything we've ever seen in our time of history. And yet, I want to share this with you, that while I think I would agree that we live in one of the most challenging times in history for the church and for us as Christ followers, I'm also convinced that this is one of the most exciting times for us as Christ followers and for the church. Because with, with the things that we have available to us today, with the technolo technological advances, with travel, transportation, but also with the world shifting the way that it is, we have more opportunities than ever before for us to be the missionaries that God's called us to be. And before where we used to have to always send people to other parts of the world and we still need to do that with great energy, we also have opportunities right here at home as the world's coming to us. We have perhaps a better chance than ever before to be a part of what Brother Dan's just shared with us about Engage 24. To live our lives as missionaries right here or literally in places all over the world. These are days, as challenging as they are, but as exciting as they can possibly be, for us to truly begin to live as missionaries. And it requires us to start to shift our thinking a little bit. To shift our thinking from just being missions-minded, which is a, it's a good thing in our our churches, specifically in our denomination, we've been some of the most missions-minded people throughout history. But it's time for us to shift from just being missions-minded to living as missionaries, to take on a missionary lifestyle ourselves. To shift from just seeing missions as a program or a project in which we participate to seeing it become the very essence of who we are as Christ followers and what we do as his church in our world today. But how does this happen? How does this particular shift happen, not only in our lives personally, but in our churches collectively? How does it begin to really take root deeply enough in our lives to make a difference in the way that we live? Because we can talk about it a lot, but for it to, to take deep root enough to change the way that we live, some things have to happen. For us to be the people, to be the church that embraces an engaged 24 lifestyle. What has to take place for that? To no longer just see missions as a program, but to see it as uh, a lifestyle that we embrace and that we actually live out. I think it begins with a change of perspective for us. And if we almost think about this as almost concentric circles that expand out and the influence gets farther reaching as they go, the, the core of that would perhaps be a change in our perspective, the way that we see things. And once that perspective begins to change within us, it begins then to reorder our priorities, the next, the next expansion. And when our priorities get reordered, then our practices or our actions, our lifestyles, begin to change. When we begin to think about that, how do we start to see that perspective shift for us? 
Because if that's the core, if our perspective has to change so that our priorities get reordered, so that our, our actions change, how do we begin to see this perspective take on a new look? How do we begin to see things differently today than we've seen them in the past? Can I just share with you how it happened for me? How God began to shift the way that I saw things. It's been, a, it's been a few years ago now that I had the opportunity to attend a conference at the Lifeway Christian Services Building in Nashville, Tennessee. It's right downtown in Nashville. Uh, it's a very tall building. And at the very top floor of that building, there's a prayer room. Part of the conference included us going into prayer groups. And my particular facilitator uh, said, we're going to take our prayer time up at the very top floor of the building. So we got on the elevator. We went to the very top floor into the prayer room there. And after he spoke to us for a few moments and issued a challenge for us, he then divided us into smaller groups. And within each group, he said, now what I want each group to do is I want you to find a place and I want you to go to the windows and look out and tell me what you see. It was already dark that night. And as I began to look around, this beautiful prayer room was surrounded with windows that basically went from from floor to ceiling. And as I made my way over to the window, I'm walking toward this this window to look out into the streets of Nashville, and because it was dark outside and the lights were on inside the prayer room, this phenomenon took place that perhaps you've experienced before in your own life. I'm walking toward the window to look out, but the darkness outside, in contrast with the lights on the inside of the building, as I walked toward the window, it actually became a mirror, and I saw my own reflection. Have you ever had that experience before? You know, where you've walked toward a window to look out, but you actually see yourself in the window. It becomes more of a mirror than it does a window for the moment. And so as I'm walking toward this this window, and I'm prepared to do what he's asked me to do, to look out into the streets of Nashville and to, to see there for a few moments the sights of Nashville and then to come back and report what we saw, I stopped almost frozen in my, my tracks because all I could see was me. All I could see was me. And as I stood there for a moment, it was as if God's Holy Spirit truly embraced upon my heart this passage of Scripture that I want to share with you this morning. It was a passage that I'd heard many times, a passage that I had actually committed to memory. And as I stood there seeing my own reflection in that window, this passage of Scripture came to my mind. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I stood there seeing my own reflection in that window, this passage came to my mind. And then immediately, it was as if I heard God speak to my heart and said, Phil, you can't see what I brought you here to see because all you can see is you. 
And that's how God began to reorient my perspective. I began to change my perspective to no longer see missions as a program or a project, but to see missions as a complete change within me to where it became a lifestyle for me. And how it needed to become a lifestyle for our church. Jesus gave us this model of what it is to engage 24. He's the model. You read throughout the New Testament, and he is the model for what it looks like to engage 24. And this particular passage is no different, because when it starts, in verse 35, it says, as Jesus went throughout all the cities. Over and over again throughout the New Testament, you'll find as he was going, as he traveled along, as he went. And I think that those phrases are intentional, because the, those Followers of Christ were saying, you know, everywhere he went, this was just a part of his normal daily activity. It wasn't a, something he had to schedule. He always had his, his antennas up, if you will, that as he was just going about daily life activities, he was on mission with God, the Father. Always looking, always observing, always having his heart and his mind and his eyes and his ears open to see what God was doing and how he wanted him to engage 24. It was just a part of his normal activity. And how it needs to be that way for each of us. He's such a model for us in that way. To reorient this perspective for us, to change our perspective, we can look at what happened there in this particular passage. As he was going from city to city to city, he saw the crowds. He saw the crowds. Verse 36 says this. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds. Now, I really don't want to make too much of that phrase, but I do want to make a lot of that phrase. I don't want to make too much of it because I don't want us to read something in there that's not there, but I want us to take what God might be speaking to our hearts about today with that. When he saw the crowds... I believe that when Jesus saw the crowds, he actually saw the people. He actually saw the person. He actually saw the faces. Have you ever just been so uh, overwhelmed by large statistics or by large groups of people that all you see is, is just a crowd? And you don't actually see the person. You don't actually see the people. But it says when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them, which leads me to believe that when he saw the crowds of people, he actually saw their faces. He looked deep into their spirits, their needs. He saw them. Not just a crowd, but people in need. That's when perspective starts to change. When we no longer see crowds of faceless people, but we see individuals. We see people for who they are. We see people for the needs that are so evident in their life every single day. I've got a great friend that I met when we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was his pastor at the time, and Rich was a, Rich was a great guy and a very wealthy individual. He was a land developer. He had, uh, he had great wealth, very faithful in the church, involved in a lot of our programs and a lot of our projects. We were sitting in a meeting one night, though, and Rich looked at me and he said, Pastor, you have ruined my life. I was like, 
what did I do? How did, how did I ruin your life? Your life looks pretty good to me. How did I ruin your life? He says, because ever since I've met you, I now see faces. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it used to be that when I could come to church, he said, if, if there was something involved with missions or there was a need or something like that, he said, I could just write a check and turn it in and I didn't have to, I didn't have to deal with the actual person. He said, now you forced me to get out there and to actually meet people. And he says, now when I know that there's a need, I have to do something about it because I, I now see faces. He says, you've ruined my life. In a good way. And I wonder for us if we actually see the faces. Do we see the needs? Is that our perspective? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, Jesus is teaching in what we've come to know as the Sermon on the Mount, but he's teaching in this particular section of that sermon. And in the context of talking about where our treasure is, he says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And in the context of this particular teaching, what he's trying to say is what you are able to have in your heart determines the way that you see things. He's teaching this in the context of what is your treasure in life? Is your treasure material possessions? Is your treasure things that make your life comfortable and easy? Or is that which you treasure the things of God? And do you treasure the things that God treasures? That's the context of what he goes on to say. And he says, so how do you know that? If your heart is dim, then your eyes are dim. If you're not treasuring the things that God treasures in your heart, then you're not seeing the things that God sees. And so with that, he really puts that before us to say, where, where's your perspective today? Are you seeing the things that God wants you to see? Or is your treasure so much about you that like that night in Nashville, all I could see was me? Because I was more concerned with my comforts and my, my goals and my dreams and my priorities that I couldn't see what God wanted me to see. If your heart's dim, your eyes are dim. Because you see, once our perspective begins to change, then our priorities get reordered. Back in verse 36 of, of the text that we looked at to begin with, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The way in which that's written for us, that word he has compassion meant that he was moved deep in his spirit. It began to to mean something to him. He did not just see the crowds, he saw the faces, and when he saw the faces of the people in need, it moved him deep within his spirit. And when our perspective begins to change, our priorities begin to change. We develop a priority then of people. We begin to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. It takes on a whole new priority for us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul would put this challenge before us when he would 
give us this idea of what it is to value others more highly than we value ourselves. In Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul would write, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than you count your own life. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So when he talks to us about that, he says, look, you're not to think so highly of yourselves that you become your priority in life. We are to value the interest of others. We're to value the needs of others. We're to look at other people and place a value on them more highly than we would even our own life. And when that begins to take place, then our priorities start to get reordered. As our perspective changes, it reorders our priorities. And from that, we begin to put a priority on relationships more than we do programs. We begin to prioritize people over projects. And that's how it starts to become a lifestyle for us. It's no longer a project that we check off. It's no longer a program that we schedule. It's the relationships with people that we engage as a lifestyle. 24 hours a day. It's the way we see things. It's the way our lives are prioritized in the things that we do. And then when our priorities get reordered like that, then our life determines in our own lives what our practices or our actions will be. You see how that grows out? When the way we see things changes, the way we prioritize things changes, and when our priorities change, our actions are different. We start to live our life each day according to what our actions are. In verse 37 and 38 of Matthew 9, it would go on to say this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What he was saying is, guys, I want you to come see what I've seen. And he called those his disciples, he called those who were followers of, of him, of his life. He said, I want you to come, I want you to see the crowds that I've seen, and I want you to see them and let that move you with compassion to action to where you're not only praying for God to send laborers into the harvest field, but you're willing to be his laborer in his harvest. Come see what I see. Let that move you to the point of reprioritizing your life so that you become laborers with him in the work of his harvest. And as it begins to take shape in our lives, it begins to change our actions that we live out every single day. Our actions become a lifestyle. Our actions become an overflow of what we believe. Our actions become a literal demonstration of our faith relationship with Christ. In James chapter 2, James would would put it this way when he's talking about what it is to live out our faith and let that faith be an example of what we believe. 
you say this, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. John would echo that very same thing in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John 3, 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Richard Stearns would say this. He said, it's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. What do you believe deeply enough to do about it? We can talk all day long about what we believe. But if it's not deeply rooted within us enough to where it leads to a change in our actions, a demonstration of our faith, then how true is it to us? See, it starts with seeing things the way that Jesus sees them. And when we begin to see things differently, we begin to reprioritize our life differently. Things take on different value than they did before. And when that happens, it moves us deep within our spirit to action, to practices that become more of a lifestyle to us than they do just a schedule that that we fill in the gaps. But it starts with that change of perspective. But how does that start? There's one more core. And that means it has to start with a change of our heart. See, as I walked over to the window that night in Nashville, as I walked toward the window, I stopped because all I could see was me. felt God impressed upon my heart this passage that we've looked at together this morning. I felt the stillness of his voice speak to my heart and say, Phil, you can't see what I've brought you here to see because all you can see is you. And as I stood there in that moment, I entered into a spirit of personal prayer. I said, God, what, what do I need to do to see what you want me to see? began to speak to my heart about things in my life that had taken priority over over him. He began to speak to my heart about things that I valued more highly than I valued the people who were in need or without Christ. 
began to speak to my heart about how I used my, my money. Or in actuality, how I used his money. Began to speak to my heart about how I used my time. About when I did or did not choose to speak the gospel or start a spiritual conversation with someone when the opportunity was right there. Began to speak to my heart about what it meant for missions not to be a project or a program, but to be a lifestyle, an engaged 24 type of life. I had a moment there where I had to get some things right with him. And as I stood there, what you would expect to happen did begin to happen. If you've ever had that type of an experience to where you've walked toward a, a window and it was more of a mirror to you than it was a window at first, you know what happens is that after you stand there for a few moments, your eyes begin to adjust. Your eyes begin to adjust from the light behind you and the darkness outside, and, and soon things that you came to see through the window get into focus. It's no longer a mirror, it now is indeed a window. And that's what happened that night. As I walked up there and I stood there in that moment, that time with the Lord, letting him speak to my heart about things that needed to be reprioritized, about how I needed to see things differently, I needed to be on mission with him, then my eyes began to refocus. And I began to see the things that he saw. I looked out onto the streets of Nashville that night and where the building was positioned, I looked right across to the, to the Frist Art Museum and the art gallery there and on the steps of the Frist building was a homeless man huddled up on that cold night with a bottle in his hand all alone. I looked down the street and here came a nice young couple probably going to one of the restaurants or maybe one of the, the entertainment venues there in Nashville and they're just walking down the street having a great time together enjoying life. I began to see people in small groups, just huddled over talking. I began to see people driving. Saw all different types of people in all different situations. And I began to recognize that that's what God wanted me to see that night. He wanted me to see people going through their daily activities, many of them far from God. But he wanted me to see them so that I could see less of me and more of them. And as he began to change my heart that night, he changed my perspective that night. And when your perspective begins to change, your priorities get reordered. And when that happens, your action is different. All I want to ask you this morning is this. What are you seeing? Are you able to see what God wants you to see to live an engaged 24 life? Or is all you can see is you? That's the question we have to face.
years ago when I was at Union University, <clears throat> God had called me into ministry. I had a very similar experience, except it was in the middle of the day. I slipped into uh, Savage Memorial Chapel and went to the window and was just praying, God, what do you want me to do with missions? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And God began to speak. That was a long time ago about what he had in mind for me and and the role that I would play. I want you to be able to come to that place. Maybe you already have, but you need to reaffirm that. Or maybe you hadn't given that a lot of thought. So here's what we're going to do. We've got this this powerful song we're going to come back to. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we close out this worship service, God has given us this beautiful room. And we've got these windows that face... uh, not precisely, but for our purpose in these four directions. If you were to go to that window and you could see far enough, you'd see downtown. And you'd keep going till you got to the coast and then to Europe. <laughs> if you go to this window, you're going to get to Maryville and you're going to get to uh, keep going to Central America. We're in Guatemala where we're going in the spring and keep going like that. And this is north. You're going to get to Powell and then you're going to go up, you know, to Canada where we've got missionaries and some of you served this past year. If you go west, you're going to get to Bearden and Farragut and West Knoxville and you're going to keep going to get to Asia. I mean, what does God want you to do? Where does he want you to be focused and how does he want to move in your heart? It really doesn't matter what window that you go to, but as we sing this song together, I'm going to ask that you just Go to one of the windows and just pray. God, what do you want me to do with faith promise? What do you want me to do with missions? Do you want me to go? Do you want me to send somebody? How will my life be changed? My perspective. Change my heart. Then change me. Change what I do next. Would you stand? Let's just go to the windows and let's pray. Father, you lead us now and speak to us now. Answer our questions. Show us what to do next as we look out these windows and pray in Jesus' name.